It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Sorry if we cost you money. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. The 38 point favorite Ohio State Buckeyes did not win by 38. They won by, let me do some quick math, uh, 22. 22. 22. 49 to 27 after a 35 to 3 halftime lead. And we are here to talk about it. Nathan Baird and Stephen Means were at Ohio Stadium for this one. I was on my couch three for three eating chilies during Ohio State games from my couch this year. And I texted this out when I put out, put out the call to text subscribers at the end of the game. If you want to be able to ask us questions in the post game, and we just fill it up. The texters seem to like it. Nate and Stephen commented that we just have like we really enjoy the comments back from texters during the game. Although we can't follow them all. We go back and look at them later. It is a fun little exchange. 614-350-3315. I texted to them and said, I thought Ryan Day was going to be ticked off after the end of this game. And then I don't know that I would say that he was that ticked off. And we had this comment from the 614. Urban would have been livid. Day is no urban. Steven, what did you think of the way Ryan Day kind of talked about this? Listen, they were up 35-3. They gave up some stuff defensively in the second half. They did a couple things on offense that weren't great. The trick plays got them a few different ways. What did you think of Ryan Day's reaction postgame, Stephen? A little surprised, but then I started thinking about it on my drive back to my house. Um, I think part of it is they just they got through another game, so you can only be so upset. You got to, a, to another Saturday, and you got to finish a game – Nobody caught COVID this week. Yeah, yeah, it's all this stuff. So it's just, I think it kind of goes back to the Penn State game a little bit is you got the game one, let's get out of here. And it seems like that's the attitude this offense kind of has at times with the way they're aggressive and when they're not aggressive. Some of it is just good play calling and being smart. But some of it, I think, from a fan's perspective, might just be, you know, a little more conservative than you'd expect an offense with this much firepower to be. And I think some of it is just kind of based in – um we got the game one. Let's just get out of here. So you can only be but so upset about stuff that happens when the game is already decided. If this Two, were a normal year, I think he'd be a little more irritated with, with what happened tonight. Well, that's what I want to ask about. 272 questions post game, by the way, from the tech subscribers. So again, you guys aren't sleeping. Nathan, 
was that a COVID era response from Ryan Day? And I jumped in right at the end. I was sitting here on my couch watching the double overtime of Clemson Notre Dame. It was still going on while Ryan Day was talking. It ended as he was finishing up. I jumped in and said, Clemson just lost to Notre Dame in double overtime on a day when Penn State and Michigan also lost. How much more upset, Nathan, do you think he would have been if it wasn't a pandemic world? I honestly don't think that the pandemic was as big of an influence in his the way he's thinking about this game as really just the other thing he was saying, which was it's 35 to three. The stadium is empty. That first half was just, you know, baby town frolics. Some of it like the, Rutgers did not look like it belonged anywhere near Ohio stadium in the first half of that game for long stretches of it. Ohio state did whatever it wanted. It's natural to have a letdown there. It's even more natural to have a letdown in a stadium, but his point was, and he made it. That's, part of the challenges here you do have to come out and, and get your own fire so that's where maybe I thought that the COVID had the most influence was just that there was already no atmosphere in that stadium I think I started to text it before the game and got distracted by other stuff but like I felt the void of the crowd tonight more than I felt it, it seems like it's been getting exponentially worse every game and like week one it's opening night. So there's a little bit of buzz for opening night, no matter how many people are in the stadium, but tonight just felt flat before it ever started. And um, I thought, you know, Ohio state could just do what it wanted to against Rutgers. Cause it's that much better. And then I think a combination of the natural letdown that sometimes happens and you're up 35 to three. And then just the, 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 light your hair on fire stuff that Rutgers was doing in the second half of this game. I thought were contributing factors to, to the way that second half played out. I don't, I, he didn't come in. He wasn't, he didn't come in. You're right. He, he didn't just come in and do like fire and brimstone. I don't think he was happy with the way that second half went. And I think they're going to be less happy when they go back and look at the film. So I rewatched the second half very quickly as you guys were driving home and I wrote down all the things, like what actually went wrong? Because I, I do think you can have a perception as things get rolling. You know, as writers, we're writing, as fans, you guys watching at home, it's 35 to three. You're not quite as locked in in the second half. And I think you, there can be some things that you think are happening that maybe aren't actually happening. And then you get to the end of the game and think, oh, that was terrible. And it's like, was it? So I went back through and there were probably like eight plays, eight bad things that happened in the second half. And we're going to go through them on this post-game podcast. And we're going to decide those things. Were they examples of things that were actually issues or is it not that big a deal? But the one thing I did ask Ryan Day is I always think there's a great distinction between did your backups give something up or did your starters give it up? Because frankly, if your backups give it up, I get it. You want to, you want to maintain the standard and all that stuff, but they're backups for a reason. It's either because they're young or they're not as good. So, and they're not going to play unless it's an emergency. So I, sometimes it's like our backups, whatever. It's like, I don't know. Your backups aren't going to be Clemson anyway. So that's not an issue. Especially when the back, yeah. Especially when the backups might be playing a first string. Right. Exactly. Not that many backup issues, actually. No. When you really think about it. It, it, they had the last drive that did not wind up with a score because Art Sitkowski went back to pass and the ball just flew out of his hands backwards and Ohio state recovered it. The one that would have made it 49, 35, or 49, 34, not 34. Shiano was going for two. No way there. We've been at 33 or 35. It wasn't going to be 34. He just, the ball flew out of his hand. He's trying to throw a lob to the end zone against Ryan Watts, freshman corner. That, and they moved the ball. That's Ronnie Hickman. That's some backup guys in there, right? 
Craig Young, Bryson Shaw, some backup guys in there. That was the only drive that was a lot of backups. There is one thing that stood out a lot to me that if it stays on this path is an issue, is an actual issue that is potentially quite a problem that needs an answer. There are, I think, two other things, three other things, I think, primarily that happened that are moderate issues along the way. But we'll get to them, but I'm trying to keep you rolling along here. There's some big picture stuff from the 937. This is not a championship team. Defense looks mortal. Offense looks high caliber, though. Should be enough to carry them to the playoffs, but hopefully they don't get embarrassed when they play either Bama or Clemson in the first round. We went through this after the Penn State game to a degree, trying to persuade people that that was a great win. And I already had it pointed out to me on Twitter that my declaration that Penn State would run the table the rest of the year might be worse than my nine and three declaration. (laughs) I also want to say this. I've had it on political coverage for five days. The Big Ten is on fire. I have no idea who is good, who is not good. Clemson's backup quarterback played awesome and they still lost to Notre Dame. I am out of takes. I'm out of takes. I'm just going to say, who knows? Time will tell. There's my least favorite expression in the world is time will tell because the passage of time is how everything is told because the present, the future becomes the present. That's how you learn anything. Time will tell. But if you don't, if you're just going to throw stuff back, that's it. I'm out. I have no takes left. I have no opinions left because all I've seen for five days is a gazillion opinions about a thing while we were just waiting to see what the deal was. I'm done. I'm done. Worst worst lyric in rock music history in uh, Van Halen's Why Can't This Be Love? Only time will tell if we stand the test of time. Really? Who would have thought? Somebody wrote that and then was like, no, that's a keeper. And then oh, I'm going to sing it in this because trash it's song. It's such a cliche that it's a beautiful line when you sing it. But when you actually just say, oh, it's tell, obviously, yes. Some guy sitting on the couch rubbing his hand through his girlfriend's hair said, baby, only time will tell if we will stand. Oh, my God. Oh, it's I a think passage of time. Point. It's literally how the universe works. Time passes. That's all. I'm waiting for the day where time tell, where time passes and we don't f- find out anything. Yeah. I mean, Sammy Hager is also sitting on somewhere on a couch stuffed with cash right now and doesn't care that I think that that's the worst lyric in rock history. But anyway, moving along. 20 seconds ago, I could have said, time will tell. Well, Nathan name dropped Sammy Hagar in this podcast. <laughs> and then 20 <laughs> seconds went by and you did. So yeah, we learned him. we learned the answer to that question because that is how the universe functions. So I don't want to go all the way down the road of the same stuff post game of like just saying this team's good, this team's good, this team's good. But I, we can touch on it briefly from the nine three seven. All this stuff. Hopefully, they don't get embarrassed when they play Bama or Clemson. This is a day where Florida beat Georgia. This is a day where Clemson lost to Notre Dame. This is a day where Maryland beat Penn State. This is a day where Indiana beat Michigan. Steven, should we remind people a little bit? Steven, are you in a don't get embarrassed against Clemson, Alabama zone after this game, or do you think this team still can win it all? 
No, they can still win it all because the key difference between the last time they got embarrassed by a Clemson and Bama bunch is the fact that they didn't have an offense who could score points. This offense can score points. And as the rest of the country is showing us, whoever wins the national championship might win a playoff game in a national championship game with a score of 57 to 48. That might – it's going to be the, – the ch- playoff games are going to be Big Ten basketball game scores. I, I, that's what I'm convinced about at this point. And yet Clemson lost, but they also were missing three defensive starters as well as Trevor Lawrence. But that's what I'm at at this point. Every game is going to be in the 50s when we get into the playoff because often, defense doesn't win championships anymore. That moniker no longer exists to me. I completely agree. And, Nathan, we talked about this on the Monday podcast last week. The playoffs locked down. Do you agree with that, Nathan? And we'll get into it more on the next Monday Madness, Madness podcast. But I said at the time, if Notre Dame beats Clemson, the playoff's over. Those are your four. Because Clemson is not get, – when Clemson gets – assuming Trevor Lawrence is not done for the year and assuming every single student on Notre Dame's campus didn't give each other COVID when they stormed the field. Listen, I don't want to have – like I, I COVID is real. So like, that's just a real thing. The numbers are higher now than they've ever been. So if like, you think COVID's a fraud is somebody tweeted at me after the Notre Dame thing. And like, they got muted. Like we're not even talking about that. I, if I didn't think I was going to have a hundred people tweet at me, COVID's a fraud. I would have tweeted it. The big 10 got a lot of crap justifiable for the way they handled this season what you will not see is 10,000 people storm the field as a COVID super spreader event after a big win in a Big Ten stadium because they don't let the people in. Now, listen, I, I get it. Exactly what I thought when I saw that. I'm like, yeah. this is why there shouldn't be fans in the stadium. And yeah, I get I don't it. Think that, right, that right there is why the Big Ten probably won't let fans in the stadium. And, and I understand there were people celebrating in the streets all over this country after the presidential election was declared, and people would point that out. I get it. I get it. People need to be safe in every environment. There's a bang for the buck thing going on here, whatever. It's a college football game and you don't have to have the people there to play it. I thought that was irresponsible of Notre Dame. I think the ACC has lost all benefit of the doubt. If everybody on Notre Dame's too bad, if there's no ACC team in the playoff and you have some kind of COVID excuse about, well, Trevor Lawrence can play because then Notre Dame, you you lost it all. That was irresponsible by the ACC, and it was stupid. And the numbers are going up, and I don't know if we're going to have a college football season in a month, but stuff like that's not helping, and the Big Ten's not allowing it. So for every ounce of heat that the Big Ten and Kevin Warren justifiably took, let us remind ourselves that that would not happen in a Big Ten stadium, and that is worth mentioning on this post-game podcast. From the 614, I have a podcast question. Feel free to clean it up. What the sh was that? They they put the asterisk in, so they didn't ask me to swear. People are dumbfounded by this, about what went on. And so I want to go back and remind things a little bit. This is how it fell apart. I don't want to draw this out, but I want to use it as some touch points. Ryan Day, I thought this was interesting afterwards, Nathan. He said the plan was come out, put some points on the board, get everybody out of the game. Part of the issue is not just the defense. Ohio State came out on right. offense the first two possessions of the second half and got nada. Right. That was an issue, was it not, Nathan? No, absolutely. And I made I made note of that as it happened. I mean, I thought they came out and and looked a little flat to start the second half. I mean, that's where I mean you've got um, 
So what happened? Got, and I went back and ahead. looked. Why, Wyatt Davis got a 10-yard holding call that killed right. him. And then the next play, Josh Myers got smoked. Josh Myers did not have a great game. Harry Miller clearly did not have a great game because he had three holding calls and all his holding calls were after he got beat and he was trying to grab guys. And I mentioned to the texters, what's your beat? If your choice is get a holding call or let Justin Fields get smoked, grab the guy. The holding call. Yeah, so the 100%. issue is not the holding call. it doesn't call. always get called. Right. The issue is not the holding calls. The issue is getting beat, which required you to hold. And that was what Harry was doing. I didn't think Harry was like grabbing indiscriminately. Harry was like, whoops, oh, there's a guy. Grab that guy. Josh Myers just got absolutely done off the line, which Justin got away from it, but it blew up the play. So it was like a they had a gain, and the holding made it like second and 20, and then Josh got blown up, and they threw him complete, and it just blew up the drive. So that was just a drive that got blown up by the defensive line. And then I thought they had another drive where they had a really bad play call on like a little crosser to Justin Smith, the Jigma that wasn't going anywhere that kind of blew up that drive. So Nathan, it was, it, it wasn't like they just started running it and gave up. They just lost a little bit of their, I thought passing game mojo through some offensive line play and some play calling. But I also think that the, I think we saw some, of the leakage from the rush from the running game tonight. I mean, if you're looking at those series, you know, master Teague rushes for no gain. Uh, Steel Chambers rushes over left end for loss of one yard. I mean, I feel like that they, the, there was an absence in the running game for large stretches of this game. You know, master Teague had one big run to start this game. Trey Sermon had one big run in this game. You take that out of their nights and it's a pretty uh, ordinary night at best for those guys. I think that this was a, I, I thought that this was going to be a big step forward. I thought they were going to build off of what they did against Penn State. I don't really feel like the run game did that, and I think that that was causing some problems. I think the play calling also, they were trying to do a little too much. For this to be the game where they just wanted to put up some points and then get their backups in there, then do what works if that's the case. They threw the four-wide receiver thing out there. They threw Jeremy Ruckert in as, as a fullback. They did a lot of different stuff that we hadn't seen the first two weeks of the season. I get it. You have an offense that's moving forward and progressing as the season comes out, but I mean, kind of the point of 2018 with the offensive line, this offensive line loves the run block, and that's not the strong point. In 2018, it wasn't, and it's not in 2020. And so sometimes, because the strong point maybe isn't the pass protection, you get holding penalties. You get Josh Myers not having the best day. While last year, when the run game was the first option, and that was where everything else kind of dwelled from, this offensive line was awesome because all they had to do a lot of the times, especially in the big games, was just run block, which is what all offensive linemen like to do. So I think that's part of it, too, is that they're pass rocking a whole lot more than they were last year. I have a joke, you guys. I've been working on this for like 20 minutes to try to find the phrasing of it. Is it better than my dad's joke from the text earlier? Your dad sent a joke in a text? No, my dad. Never, go, go. Just go. Is your go, dad a tech it. subscriber? I don't know. I said a dad joke when I oh. earlier that. Yeah, that's what I meant. Oh, sorry. I didn't. Oh, well, I'll have to. I'll, I have to double check it. I like that joke okay. because I am a dad. Here's my joke. Um, how do you get Trey Sermon to run for 13 yards? You make it the fourth quarter. That's. What I, I was gonna say, <laughs> block up a play that should go for 25. You know how like a running back is supposed to get a couple yards yeah. on his own? I feel like yeah. – so I, I think – nobody laughed at my joke. I should no, ask. No, I'm him. laughing. I'm out on him, so. Yeah. So 
Trey Sermon, 12 carries, 68 yards. Master Teague, 12 carries, 60 yards. Very deceiving, I thought. And I did – after the game, Jerry DiNardo on the Big Ten Network was right on this. He was very concerned about the Ohio State tailback situation, which, again, is a differentiation I think is important to make. There's running game and there's running backs. And so along among the things that I thought – was an issue today, an actual thing where it popped up. This one's later, but we'll get to it now. They block up the play late. Listen, this, this, there's two scores Ohio State should have had. There's one that Rutgers shouldn't have. I mean, this game should have been, if it was 49-27, it should have been 63-20, really, the way it went. They block up a play late where Trey Sermon pops through and runs for 36 yards and gets caught. And I thought J.K. Dobbins would have scored on that play. I thought Ezekiel Elliott would have scored on that play. I thought many running backs in Ohio State history would have scored on that play. He just looked a little hesitant in the open field. He didn't really cut. He just kept running straight. He let guys tackle him. He gets hurt on the play, and then they bring in Steel Chambers, who fumbles on the next play. So that combination was a bad combo that I thought Sermon should have put that play away. And that's like his long run. That's like, hey, look, Trey Sermon jacked up his yards per carry. Yeah, it went for 36. It should have gone for 50. It was there, and he didn't take it. Huge hole. It's what he did at Oklahoma. Fourth quarter, tired defense. He does something. It wouldn't have. It didn't help them win the game. It just would have affected whether they maybe covered 38 or not. And then Steel Chambers, who we've been trying to give some love to, not good, Steel Chambers. You come in and get popped and give it up. Man, Nathan, I thought that was like that was like the best of Trey Sermon. And to me, it was a play that was just another time of like, this dude is not it. I am completely out on Trey Sermon. Steven just said it too. Nathan, where are you on him? Yeah, I mean, well, it was my um, you know, game time decision was that I thought that they should give him the ball more tonight, like try to get him going. And I think they did that a little bit. I mean, he got as many carries as Teague did, and it just is it isn't happening. And it, it's not really happening with Teague either in some ways. I mean, there are things that he does well. I was the first run of the game. It was a nice run. Um, and sorry, people at, at home can't see that I just threw my microphone into my own lap. Um, first run of the game was a nice one, but he, he can't get to the edge. Like those guys cannot get to the edge. When you make Master Teague horizontal at all in the in the running game, it's over. And they're not going to be able to to sustain an offense against better teams. By doing that, and I maybe it's not until they get to the playoff that that becomes a problem, but maybe it happens in two weeks against Indiana, the way that they're playing right now. Um, it, it's an issue. They've got to find some way to get, and it can't just all be jet sweeps. That's why I think that they've got to look somewhere else on this roster. Maybe it's DeMario, maybe it's somewhere else, but you've got to find somewhere else on this roster to try to produce that, or maybe it's not there. And if it's not there, I think it's an issue. Master Teague had 32 yards for 11 carries before that 36-yard run. And they gave him – you're right, Nathan. They gave him a drive where they gave him the ball maybe six or seven straight times. And the, obviously the whole point was they were trying to set up a play action, which ended up being the touchdown pass to Chris Olave. But This is Sermon gave, you're talking about, right? Not Teague. Yeah, this is Sermon. They gave him the okay. – yeah, I'm sorry. They gave him the ball six or seven straight times, and he hit the wall, and he hit a wall, and he hit a wall, and never got anywhere with it. So I don't know if it was actually them trying to set up a play action touchdown pass or it just got to a point where – okay, we can't give this kid the ball, but since we've given it to him so much, how about we try to bait the defense and do a play-action call here? But he did not look good, and that was his series. It looked like that was a series to showcase him, and he didn't do anything with it. 
the, 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 the drive right before, so it's 42 to 15 in the fourth quarter, the drive right before they took the punt back on the lateral, um, the, that, that drive was Trey Sermon rushed for loss of four yards, Trey Sermon rushed for two yards, Trey Sermon rushed for two yards. That was the drive. That, that was the three and out. And I don't think this is a good night for the offensive line kind of in mass, and especially those interior guys you're talking about, Doug. But um, they've got to get better. They've got to get more than that out of him. Or they just have or, – or he isn't the guy. Or he's or they need to move on. So I, I called – I don't know. I think it was in the first half, actually. They had a third and eight where they handed it to Trey Sermon inside and he got one yard. I said it was the very strong early candidate for worst play call of the year. It's like, let's pop Trey Sermon through a hole inside on third and eight. It was like, that's not going to happen. So this is something that we can get into a lot next week. I don't think Trey Sermon's the answer. I would, I would reduce his role. Steel Chambers did not seize the opportunity today other than the fake punt thing. I think Master Teague has to be your guy. I'd start giving it to him 20 times a game and see what you can do. And then I don't know if you give Mayan Williams a shot. The true freshman on the roster, a late grab. But I just will say, all the things I talked about in the offseason about Tony Alford falling short in the previous recruiting class and why Bijan Robinson or anybody else isn't here, this is it coming home to roost. And anybody who thought that Trey Sermon was magic pixie dust from Oklahoma, you were fooling yourself the whole time. I'm wrong about stuff all the time. I was never wrong on that. And a lot of people tried to fool themselves. And I get it. Trevion Henderson and Evan Pryor are the real deal. They're not here. I don't think it will prevent this team from winning the national championship. But on my list of things that are real things, this is one of my medium things. This was one of the medium things. I just, they can't get to the edge. Go back and watch J.K. Dobbins get to a corner and turn up field last year on a wide zone. Watch that guy get to the corner and turn up field. Watch that guy string it out and hit a cutback lane and go. And I know J.K. got caught from behind sometimes and actually heard him against Clemson. But, man, if you thought J.K. got caught from behind sometimes, holy smokies. Don't wait for anybody to bust something this year. It's real. It's real. And everybody, anybody who is coming blindly to Tony Alford's defense, this is real. This should be better. This is a failing. It's a recruiting failure. Now, it's like an F, and then next year's an A. Doesn't wipe out the F for this year, for the recruit that could be here helping this team try to win a national championship. We have plenty of time to get into it. I don't want to get bogged down by it. I do not think it will be the roadblock to a national championship. It might make things a little harder. I don't think it's a roadblock. So it's not my huge thing. There is just stuff coming in from the 606, not a question, but a statement. This is the worst game Ohio State has played since Purdue. I feel like people, to some extent, guys, have forgotten they were up 35 to 3 at the half. They did anything they wanted to do in the first half. And then a lot of the stuff in the second half was goofball stuff. It was a couple bad offensive things and a couple bad defensive things. Steven, you're giving the hand on your chin kind of thing. Yeah. That statement sounds odd to your ears. Does it not? No, no. Yeah, it does. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. They, they were up by a lot. And then some things went wacky in the second half. One more thing about the running game, then we can move on. I'm interested in what game they allow Justin Fields to start running the ball again, because that's probably part of this. I think you're right that they told him to stay in the pocket a little bit because six runs tonight, 
uh, for seven yards, one of which he went, one of those carries went for a touchdown. But since that first game, he hasn't been running a lot. And I think some of that is they can get through this Big Ten schedule, especially with the way things look with the other teams without him leaving the pocket. And he can just keep going 24, 28 every single game. But I am a little interested if they get to a Big Ten championship game against Northwestern, um, do they finally unleash him and say, okay, you can start running again? And then how does that affect everything else? I mean, I think I think Justin Fields runs when they need him to run to win. Yeah. And and I was yelling first week, hey, they say they don't want him to run, but you can't stop him from running. And they've sure as heck stopped them from running the last two weeks by telling him not to run. Now you saw that touchdown run, right? It's a, he kept it's a, it. He kept it. It's like when they needed it, that was a keep, and he could he could have run all day if he needed. And that was be. after like seven or eight times of giving it and seeing absolutely nothing. So it's like fine, have your bone and go get a touchdown. But so I am a little intrigued by. They stopped it. They said, "No, you stay in this pocket. We can win. We can get through the Big Ten without it." And then how much that's impacted the other running back, where they're already not that quality, but now Justin Field is not necessarily a threat to keep the ball right now. So this is going to be something, again, we like to touch on this stuff. This is our most popular podcast. I just want to shout out everybody who's listening. Our post-game pods, the first two weeks of the year, the number of listeners is just through the roof. So this is when the most people are interested, the most people hear us. So we don't want to hold back on things, but we're going to have a whole week to get into it. People are freaked out about the Maryland game now because Tua's brother did some things. People were giving Mike Loxley a raft of crap early on. They've now won two straight. They've got, they've got something. They got a little something there. They got a couple players. They got a little something. And in the Big Ten, sometimes if you got a little something, that's enough. Because they're doing some things that doesn't look like Penn State and Michigan are necessarily capable of doing right now. So we have people like, for instance, from the 419 saying, is the Maryland game going to be a replay of the 2018 game? Which is, again, both teams over 50. Nobody could stop anybody. I do not think we are there. That is not where I think this defense is. So let me get to what I thought in chronological order was another thing that was a huge thing that we have to talk about what it means. The third and one fake snap, fake bad snap, where the quarterback dove back for it, and it was an actually direct snap to the running back who popped through a hole and ran for 50, 55 yards or something. 60-something, 66, wasn't it? 66, okay. Down to four, Proctor caught him from behind. That should have been a gain of like eight. And Marcus Hooker came up, took a stiff arm, showed no speed, couldn't catch the guy. Proctor had to come from the other side of the field. That was a real problem. It's a nice little trick play. If you have an eraser, and people are talking about the eraser and what Jordan Fuller was last year, because we've talked about the eraser. That's supposed to be a race for a gain of nine, not a gain of 60. Marcus Hooker gave up an extra 50 yards there. That's a lot to ask. It's on him. That's what you are when you are the single safety in a defense like this. So this is the number one thing. Marcus Hooker got beat on that. Stiff arm then could not run with the guy and he was gone. And then they had another late pass over the middle where Marcus Hooker flew in out of control did not wrap up at all, and they got an extra 20 yards out of it. And it was a blatant missed tackle. Anybody who is worried about the secondary, anybody who is talking about missed tackles in the secondary, 
anybody who is talking about secondary issues, you're mostly talking about Marcus Hooker. Marcus Hooker has to figure it out. He was bad tonight. It hurt them a lot. And I think this reminds me, they're playing Brendan White tonight against Rutgers. They're playing Brendan White. And when Isaiah Pryor wasn't getting it done in 2018, and when Isaiah Pryor and some of their safeties were the king of the banana angles and were coming up wildly and all of a sudden bending around and chasing a guy, Jordan Fuller was back there too. And Jordan Fuller wasn't blameless, but he was the best one. They needed two safeties back then. It's like, we need another safety. Isaiah Pryor's not cutting it. And Brendan White came in in the second half of the season and settled things down. The trajectory Marcus Hooker is on right now is you need an intervention because you might need to get that guy off the field. That's how bad I thought that was tonight. Those two plays. I think Josh Proctor might need to save this defense. Josh Proctor has been there. He did not win the job. If it's not Josh Proctor and it's not Marcus Hooker, I'm not sure who it is. That was bad. And whatever you're feeling, you're mostly, and I have a couple other guys we're going to get into, you're mostly feeling it about Marcus Hooker. And if you don't want that pressure, man, I'm sorry. That's what that job is. You've got to come up. You've got to come up and break down and make a tackle and wrap up or run with the guy or something. You're the last line, man. And, and he, they were a lot of guys flying out of control, but nobody more than him. That is the number one thing coming out of this game. Cause if your deep safety is going to keep getting beat like that, things like this are going to happen. And it feels worse than it is, but he gave up like extra 85 yards by himself missing tackles. Steven, I know you guys didn't have a chance to rewatch it yet. Steven sitting there in the stadium. Did you feel that with Marcus Hooker? Yeah, I noticed it. Um, and it takes me back to over the summer when we kept calling Josh Proctor boom or bust. And then we kind of settled down and actually had a conversation about maybe he's not a boom or bust. Maybe he was just put in a, to a position in that Clemson game where they hadn't used two safeties all season. And then you asked him to cover Trevor Lawrence on a QB draw and it worked out the way that it should work out in a situation where he doesn't have that much experience. I think Josh Proctor's ceiling is higher. Ironically, he's the guy who had to hawk him down to get to save the touchdown. But I, I think it's time to start seeing that Josh Proctor with the ones, at least in practice, because I don't know. Mar- Marcus Hooker's floor might be higher than what Josh Proctor's, or at least from the way that, that, that Matt Barnes described it. But I don't necessarily think Josh Proctor would have given that up. And, and here's the thing. I mean, like, yeah, Josh Proctor gave up some stuff against Clemson. This is after against not playing Rutgers. After not playing after all year. not playing. I don't think Josh Proctor would have given up a 66-yard run tonight. And Josh Proctor, he's by been, the way. He's played well this year. I'm gonna be, in, his, in his limited role, he's played well. And he did come and make that tackle. He came from the other side of the mm-hmm. field. He was like in slot coverage on the other side of the field and had to come across and make the tackle because Marcus Hooker couldn't catch the guy. Nathan, do you believe, A, that this secondary needs saving, and B, do you think Josh Proctor can do it? Well, I said months ago that I thought that the reason this team might not win a national championship was this secondary. I said that the the questions they had at cornerback, and at that time I thought, I think we thought that safety was a little bit more of a secure position than it has turned out to be. Um, But I said back then that I thought that that was maybe going to ultimately be the reason why this team couldn't win a national championship. And I, I think that still might be the case today. Um, I think they do need uh, saving might be a a strong word um, because again, they're, I think they get to the playoffs with this team 
but in terms of actually winning a national championship, in terms of beating, I mean, my God, Alabama. Oh my God. With, with this secondary right now with, with I mean, just, uh, no, no chance, but, but let me ask you this. Okay. So, so I'm saying when people say secondary, they really mostly mean Marcus hooker. Not only that though, I have a couple other guys written down. I have Marcus hooker issue. Number one, He's number one. When but I don't say, think that second half of the Penn State game was an especially strong game for the entire secondary. Right? So when you say secondary, be specific. What do you mean? Who do you mean? It's big boy school. It's okay. I mean, I think I think Sean Wade is 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 still solid. I think it's everybody else. Um, I, I just still don't have a lot of confidence in them against the best teams in the country. All right, that was I not think, very specific. I, I I'll I well, think it's everybody else but Sean Wade. No, I think Seven Banks was. Was decent tonight. I thought Seven um, Banks was pretty good. Yeah. Tonight. I think they, they Seven took a Banks. Shot on him. They took a shot on him in the end zone, and he covered it extremely well. I think he was solid. I don't have a problem with Seven Banks. Sean is still figuring out what it means to be a number one corner on a defense. So I'm not. I'm still not worried there. He gave up the touchdown, but I'm not worried about that. Slot. I mean, Rutgers didn't do a lot with their slot wide receiver tonight, so I can't really tell with Mark and William, Marcus Williamson after this week. But yes, it's for me. It's just the safety and Tyree. Tyree Johnson, we just found out he's a miss tonight. That's what okay. we found out. So I went through the stuff. Okay, so so the next thing that I had written down that was an issue, they ran another trick play where they ran a reverse and they had the receiver throw off the reverse mm-hmm. and they hit like a big play and Marcus Williamson was just out there lost. Listen, that's a trick play. I get it. He was out there lost. Then it got to the play and the guy stiff-harmed him so hard, Marcus Williamson fell to the ground. I think Marcus Williamson is an, is an issue. But I'm not surprised. It's again, it's one of those things. Sometimes it's a great story. He's like a fourth year guy who's never done much. He wasn't a huge recruit. And all of a sudden he's starting and it's like, Hey, maybe he's not great. It's like, well, what did you think? He's not Sean Wade. He wasn't a top 50 national recruit. He hasn't been working his way up. He didn't do anything yet. I think Marcus Williamson is probably average at best. He's a, he's small and you get him in the wrong matchup and he's going to have trouble both covering and tackling. I think. Tyreek Johnson, you're exactly right. Tyreek Johnson late. This is another one late. Third down, they run that little throw outside, third and three. Tyreek Johnson comes storming up, sniffs it out. This is, I'm just saying the difference because Ohio State fans have lived it. A year ago, Jeff Okuda sniffs that. It's not a pick. He sniffs it out and he wraps the guy up and the guy's dropped for a loss of three. It wouldn't have been enough for a pick, but he comes up and makes that tackle. Tyreek Johnson, I don't even think he had his arms out. He just came up like with his body and Ran didn't even try it. to do anything. And then Marcus Hooker came over and also missed the tackle. So the combination right now, and here's the other thing, and I'll say this about Sean Wade. I thought Sean Wade on the touchdown, it's a tight end that winds up in his area in the back of the end zone. I didn't think Sean Wade up went up real strong to contest that throw. I think if you're the best corner on the field, yeah, that's a tight end. He's bigger. He's in your area. It felt like Sean got boxed out a little bit and like didn't fight the way that I thought maybe get up there and rip his arm down or something. And that's not, we saw a similar thing last week with Sean. I thought Dotson was more the issue last week than Sean Wade was. And you wrote that Steven. I thought Sean had a couple plays today where he didn't look as physical. And I think Sean needs to play better. I am not as no big deal on Sean Wade as I was a week ago, because I thought it's, it wasn't constant. That tight end throw, I thought stuck in my head. Listen, you get beat sometimes, but Sean Wade's there and he goes up and he's just not like really in the play. 
And the guy's bigger than him. I get it. But by the end of the game, there was a play, I think, where Marcus Hooker, Tyreek Johnson, and Marcus Williamson were the three guys who were chasing a Rutgers guy. And I was like, that's not good. That is not like typical Ohio State level. So to me right now, seven banks is pretty good. We know Sean Wade is good. I don't think he's playing his best right now. I think Marcus Hooker had a rather bad game. I think Marcus Williamson is just kind of limited in who he is. And I'm not sure you can play Tyreek Johnson. So the Cam Brown injury really hurts. And I will tell you this. You watch guys, it's one or two plays. It's hard to tell sometimes. They were doing a lot of motion. And Nathan, you talked about all their pre-snap motion. They really had guys moving in and out. But they they did a couple things where they'll motion a receiver. And when you're in man, now the corner's running with them across the field. And like on a short, they're trying to get a first down, third and three. You just motion that receiver and then just throw a little quick one to him before the corner can get across with him. Ryan Watts had a play where he ran across he was faster than Marcus Williamson would be in that similar situation. And when he got to the receiver, he wrapped up and tackled him. Now they still got the first down. That was one play by Ryan Watts. And I said, I think maybe that kid can play. So I think you might be in a spot where if you want somebody in on third down instead of Marcus Williamson, it might be Ryan Watts. Cause I don't think it's Tyreek Johnson. Tyreek Johnson got spun in a circle in the corner of the end zone and drew an unnecessary pass interference penalty. That again, that's a guy being lost. That's not physical. That's like, there's a ball in the air. You've been here three years and you have no idea what to do. So I would say seven banks. Good. Sean Wade. Good. Not playing his best. Marcus Hush- Marcus hooker problem. Marcus Williamson is what he is. And then if that anybody behind them, you have no idea because it's not Tyreek Johnson. Steven, do you basically agree with that? I 100% agree with that. I think Ryan Watts has an opportunity here to create a role for himself. And whether maybe it's the Cam Brown role, that the role Cam Brown would have been playing this year had he not gotten hurt, he can step into that role now because, yeah, I mean, I saw everything I needed to see from Tyree Johnson in about five minutes and found out exactly why a five-star player has not moved up the desk card and he's in year three. And Nathan, as we are saying all this, you're saying, "Uh uh-huh, duh. That's what I've been yeah. saying for eight months. Yes. Yeah. And I think this is also where we're starting to see the factor of, and I know that they were going to play Oregon in the preseason too, but, it, or the, the non-conference, but if you had had a game against Bowling Green and, and even a game against Buffalo, where some of these guys had gotten to, um, to see some examples of these, these problems in games that they were winning comfortably anyway, and then you get to work on them, but they didn't that that it didn't happen this year. You start off right in the main event, and I think even Rutgers can expose some of these things in a way, especially Greg Schiano, Greg Schiano coach team. We may see it from a Mike Loxley coach team next week. I think that they can expose those things in a way that Bowling Green is just not going to be able to expose that. I don't care if you're putting Ryan Watts out there on the first play of the season. I'm also right. interested to watch this game again just because how much soft coverage were they in in the second half? Cause it seemed like very similar to the Penn state game where they just went into a lot of this soft coverage stuff where they were giving up everything in front. Cause they didn't want to give up big plays, but you know, soft coverage sometimes can bite you in the butt if you don't have the right personnel to run it. No. And I think that's true. And I guess one of those things it's like, all right, well, we gave up an eight yard throw. We didn't get beat over the top. We made a March, you know, like you, you didn't lose 10, eight yard throws. All of a sudden they have a touchdown. But, but if it takes them, but if they're down 32, yeah. 
and it takes them seven minutes to score the touchdown, like you're not going to lose the game because of it. Right. So I do think there's some, that does factor in to some degree. I I think that is, that's worth bringing up. I think though, after this game, and I think they're either going to feel it even more after they watch their game film, it's and it, it it's it goes to the special team stuff. It goes to tackling. It's just that there seems to be a lack of discipline in that second half, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's correctable. Some of the other things we're talking about, though, may just be that these guys have lower limit, lower ceilings than we thought they did. See, that's the thing. Like, I think you feel that. Uh, this is what I'm trying to get specific on. Everybody feels there's lack of discipline. I'm telling you, Marcus Hooker missed two gigantic tackles. Most of what you're feeling, like that's a lot of it. And some of the other stuff, listen, they they were throwing passes off receiver reverses. Marcus Williamson didn't know where to go. It was a weird play. Like, like they weren't down after down, just getting yeah. destroyed. Marcus Hooker had two gigantic misses. And there's one more play I want to bring up that people have forgotten about right after this. This play cost Ohio State seven points. Can you find it? Can you remember it? It was a fourth down play that Rutgers ran, and it wound up costing Ohio State seven points, and I won't make a guess. Rutgers, like, ran a weird, like, kind of counter quarterback draw on, like, fourth and seven from, like, the 11-yard line and did not come close to getting it. Johnny Langan, is that his guy? Is that a real person? He was he in the four tops. It's like I know what point you're talking about. Teron Vincent face masked him. Yeah. Yeah. It was a seven year, it was a seven point face mask. He was two personal fouls in as many games since he came back. He was tackled on fourth down. Ohio State was getting the ball back. It's a face mask and they score. Because now it's like first and goal at the five. So it's like all the stuff. It's like Teron Vincent, don't face mask him. And I know guys, stuff happens, whatever, but like you can't do it. Like that's that's not, you know. I mean, that might go in, I guess, if you would consider that lack of discipline, Nate, Nathan. But it, that wasn't a missed tackle. That wasn't the secondary. That was just Teron Vincent grabbed the quarterback's face mask when he was six yards for, short of the first down marker on fourth down. So that was like a huge play that's going to get lost in this. But like, uh, does, what does that tell you? Does that tell you like teron vincent shouldn't play no i don't that doesn't tell me that does that mean their defensive tackles are sloppy no i just think stuff happens this is a guy who's playing his second game in two years right it's a little loose i get it but like crushing so that was one that never should have been a thing and the steel chambers fumble takes seven off the board for ohio state so but like a steel chambers fumbling going to cost you against Alabama, right? I mean, it's some of this stuff you were hoping, hey, maybe steel chambers can give us something. It's like, ah, oh, it doesn't seem like it. So that's yeah. that's part of it. Like our Teron Vincent and Steel Chambers making individual mistakes, like holding back this team. You know what I'm getting at, Nathan. Yeah, and I think here's the way I guess I would describe it. I think you're you're right on the Steel Chambers thing. On the Teron Vincent part of it, though, and I, it's not necessarily based on that one play. I think it's just that when when you when we all thought Ohio State could be a national championship team, in fact, we all picked them to win the national championship this year. I think you get this picture in your mind of what that team is on January whatever 2021 when they're playing that game, and I think some of the things that we're seeing right now it's just taking a little chisel and just poking a little bit out of that. And like, if Teron Vincent is 
and, and as good as Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togia have been this year, if Tron Vincent is just kind of ordinary this year, I think that's a little chisel out of that statue that you think you're taking into that game, that presence that you're taking into that game. I think if these if these running backs are only this good, and this is the the flat ceiling of the of this running of these running backs, not the running game, but the running backs. I think that's another little chisel out of it. I mean, I think it does start to. It's not each one of these these things is not a catastrophe, but it's a bunch of little ones that are going to maybe cost you when you get on the field against a team that isn't chiseling away at, at, at itself the way that this team is. The one thing that I would say about that is they have two outstanding defensive tackles right now. I mean, the way we've all, right. you've written about it more than anybody, Tommy Togiai and Haskell Garrett are playing at an all big 10 level. Antoine Jackson's doing some stuff. If Teron Vincent doesn't play as much like they're fine. I think like you want, it's like, well, who's going to step up among the defensive tackles and like two guys through three games, two guys have raised their hands and said, we are. So I don't know that I know what you're saying. Yes. Teron Vincent's a big time recruit. It would help if he was great, but he's they're well, but not relying also, on him to be their best guy at that spot. But I'm also saying that we're talking about the, the Alabama Clemson, I guess now Notre Dame standard, as opposed to the Rutgers standard. Those are two different standards that we're, that you're, well, you're I, judging a team by, but also, I, I th- but also I just want to throw in, we have no idea how good Alabama's third best defensive tackle is. Like I, I sometimes the imaginary mm-hmm. team. I think we know how good their starting offensive line is, though, and I think that's what we're talking about. Right, and that would be going up against Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togiai. Yeah, the, I, the, the point but of the, the is, offensive line's out there the whole game. This is the point. Yeah, I, I mean, in a game like that, you would just play Tommy Togiai and Haskell Garrett more. Though. I'm just and, saying, Teron Vincent had a kind of penalty that cost the Ohio State seven points today. Right. Yeah. Going forward as I Ohio, as I evaluate Ohio State's fitness as a playoff or national championship contender, I don't think I'm going to factor the Teron Vincent seven point face mask into my evaluation given the way other things have unfolded. I will factor in Marcus Hooker making tackles as long missing tackles mm-hmm. as long as he's the starting safety, right? And I will factor in other things. Let me factor in this and I want to ask Nathan because Nathan Demario McCall had a brief like two play spurt as an actual part of the Ohio state offense and 138 people sent texts about it. Congratulating <laughs> me. Well, I think mostly that was for you. Yes. No, yeah. I know they were like, Doug. For you. it was like Demario. I was like, yes, thank you. Thank you. I will take it was that. a bigger deal for you than it was yeah. for Demario. R- Rutgers at this point has become the annual Demario McCall showcase. So then we're trying to figure out who's going to write what. And it's like, well, who's writing this for Sunday, whatever. Nathan's like, Doug, are you writing tomorrow? I was like, well, I don't think I'm writing this. And Nathan was like, if you're ever going to write tomorrow, this is your one chance. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And Nathan's like, if you don't write tomorrow, I'm going to write tomorrow. And I said, go ahead and write tomorrow. So Nathan asked, asked about it, asked Ryan Day about tomorrow. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Nathan. I think I asked Justin Fields about tomorrow. <laughs> oh, sorry. What? Do you think so? We're projecting forward. Demario McCall, I mean, it literally like was two plays, and then we have to get to the other thing he did. What are you expecting something from Demario McCall now? Because you're getting ready to write about him. What do you think? Do you think this might mean something, what he did against Rutgers? Well, actually, I want to clarify because I thought in real time he had so there was a play where they had split everybody out wide, they had an empty backfield. Mm-hmm. And he motioned from um, the slot into the backfield, took a handoff, got 12 yards. The next play of the game was a 27-yard reception that they credited to Julian Fleming. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure that was Demario, wasn't it? Yes. Or am I completely misremembering that? Okay, no, so they're DeMario. just wrong in the no. book. Okay. Julian had I, one I, target and he dropped it. 
Right. Right. I remember that one. Oh, I remember that. That was yeah. the first incompletion of the game. Okay. So, I mean, I think it showed that there's a role in this offense for Demario McCall. I think he can help this team win football games. He's not going to be the lead back. He's not going to be the lead back. But I think there's a way to get him on the field and to have him do things to help this team. I just think that it's going to have to, you know, when you talked before the season about could they put two running backs on the field at the same time? Could they do what they did where he's in the slot and then you motion him into the backfield? I guess it's a, it's a question of you could probably only do that when you're doing a four receiver set because you're not going to have him on the field instead of Garrett Wilson really ever. It'd have to be in addition to Garrett Wilson, right? So that's, I think, the tricky thing is who do you take off the field to put him on the field? And are you just ever lining him up as the guy in the backfield? That seems unlikely. I like the hope here. But I think think actually the answer, I know what Doug's about to say. I think the guy (laughs) that you take off the field to put DeMario McCall on the field is Trey Sermon. Oh, no. The guy that you take off the field to put DeMario McCall on the field (laughs) is DeMario McCall. Yeah, I think this is it. I think I you you're having your Demario McCall moment, and it's it's good that you're having this moment where you feel like you saw some things from Demario, and you're thinking he could be a part of this offense. No, he can't. No. no, no. Why does Trey Sermon deserve the next carry more than Demario McCall does? Demario is not a between the tackles runner. You can't hand the ball to Demario in a normal situation. Trey Sermon's not doing much with it either. Trey, I mean, now you're going to make me to defend Trey Sermon. I mean, Trey Sermon. What Trey Sermon did at Oklahoma is. 10 times past what DeMario has ever done in, I understand. State in a game that mattered. And I agree with what you're saying about DeMario not being a between the tackles runner, but we're also talking about how they need to find a way to get something on the, going on the perimeter. I mean, there just seems like there's, they, they, they need more answers than what they have right now in the running. It's like, they need, but, it's like they need a third down back, but that's not going to happen. I mean, like it's just, uh, it's, it's, I, people are talking about it. I, I appreciate all the texts about it and it's just hard to get through the text. There's so many, I'll go through some and we can use some later. It's just hard to do it live in a podcast. Um, when you put him in the game, you can't have him in the game as the normal tailback because you know you can't really hand it to him but to run between the tackles. So it's like we're, we're putting him in the game because we're going to split him wide and then we're going to throw him a swing pass, whatever. Like That's just not what they're going to do. And, and if they're going to do that stuff, I think they're much more likely. I, I actually want to get into this a little bit with Ryan at some point. I mean, the Browns have done this at times this year, especially while Nick Chubb was out. They've handed the ball to Jarvis Landry at times. They've done some stuff with Odell. I feel like I'm seeing Robert Woods for the Rams has a couple rushing touchdowns this year. It feels like teams are working receivers into the run game, not in a trick way, but in a more fundamental way as like a, Hey, we're going to hand the ball to a receiver like four times a game. And it's going to give a different look. It's a guy with speed who can get on the edge. I honestly think like your run threat on the perimeter is Garrett Wilson. And I don't think, I think like that is sustainable. It's like, what are you going to do? Hand the ball to Garrett Wilson three times a game. And it's like, yes, you are. I, like, I yeah, think they tried it again tonight, happen. which is, which is to the point of what um, I, I have to say some of this when we actually get into this discussion, but to the point of with why Garrett Wilson is the number one guy you keep in that JK Dobbins, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson conversation. Well, because I also, you only have to, again, you only have to do it because you don't have JK, but, yeah, I did, but even, to just have that as an option, it's even if you had JK to have that as another wrinkle in your offense, that's a whole other. That's another thing that defenses have to think about. It is, but they also. I, I, I said this to our texters during the game. When you throw a bubble screen to Chris Olave for an eight-yard gain, that's like the easiest eight yards you ever get in your life. That's a run. 
It's like a run. It's it, Justin Fields throws it half a yard forward, but it's a run. It's a wide run. Basically, you get another yeah. receiver out there on the perimeter block, and now all of a sudden you have a guy with some wiggle and some speed on the edge. Because guess what? If you're trying to get Master Teague or Trey Sermon to the edge to do the same kind of thing, it's not going to happen. So, so Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, while being the passing game, are also kind of going to become part of the run game. Because you can hand it off inside to Garrett on a little receiver motion two or three times a game. You throw a bubble on the edge to Olave two or three times a game. And all of a sudden, you're getting people out of the box. You're moving things around. You're putting defenses in tough spots. You're not relying, you know, you don't have to worry about throwing an incompletion. You're just moving the ball. So I think there are answers there. And I just don't think DeMario is going to wind up being one of them as much as I would love to see it. And I think there are teams that he could help. I just don't think this is going to wind up sort of being one of them. Um, this is, but we have to bring up DeMario here. Another thing. And again, I think people thought they got conservative and I don't know that it would be conservative. The DeMario like kickoff return that he let that went over his head and then bounced and then he picked it up and fell on it in the five yard line killed a series because now they're starting on the five yard line and they just ran the ball three times and punted because they're not going to take a risk there. But if they just would have fair caught that or done something normal there and started at the 25, that's another opportunity to score. I don't know exactly what happened there, Nathan, but that screwed them. That was another series that was lost. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask because I don't know exactly what happened there either, but it seemed like because Rutgers had tried the onside earlier um, that they came out and sold out to prepare for the onside, but then didn't leave him back at all. I thought that's what happened there. I thought that was more a a failure either of um, the, the, the special teams play call or communication to McCall that he needed to be back in that situation. I don't know that. I don't know that that was, I'm not trying to defend Amari McCall here. I'm just saying, I don't know that that was a mistake that he made as far as how he lined up on that play. That he was, he wasn't all the way up. I mean, he was up at like the 20 or something. It was a little goofy. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know either. Like, and then once it hit, I think he was thinking, well, maybe it'll go in the end zone and it didn't go in the end zone. So then he had to go get it and pick it up. And at least he didn't let it sit there for Rutgers to recover. So it was a little screwy, but in the end, as we're going through, like what happened, that's a, that's a series. That's a series where Ohio state had Justin Fields on the field and no chance of scoring because up four scores, they're not going to drop Justin Fields back into the end zone because their drive started on the five when it should have started on the 25. So that was just like another weird thing. Again, it's like, as you're going through, it's like, what's wrong with this team? Why were they so conservative? It's like, well, that's screwed up. I, I don't know what exactly it was, but that was a screw up. And then I do want to say the other thing, the punt return, it was like they had a couple things that happened. They had the Teron Vincent face mask that led to the seven points. They had the, the third and one fake snap where Hooker misses the thing, whatever. And then they had the punt return for a touchdown that – I thought on the punt return, the throwback punt return, and Ryan Day said he thought they actually were pretty prepared for the trick stuff. They got a touchdown on that. I wrote down the numbers of the two guys that I thought maybe had a chance to make a tackle and kind of didn't. It's hard to tell because once you're doing a throwback, it's like guys lose their lanes. It's like, oh, who wasn't disciplined in their coverage? It's like they threw the ball from one side of the field to the other. I don't know. Nobody was disciplined. It's like the two guys who maybe I thought could have done something and didn't were Steel Chambers and Xavier Johnson, who's a walk-on running back. So it's like, I'm not, what are you? 
I mean, you're mad at the defense. Like it's not, it's running backs trying to tackle the guy on a weird punt return. So like Steven, what do we, some of the trick play stuff was just kind of goofy. That's like another seven points. Are we to take anything from that? The punt return? Did that tell us anything? Or is that just Greg Schiano trying 25 different weird things? Yeah. I, First of all, they're running backs. So, I mean, tackling probably isn't in their forte. As I mean, is. they're on special teams. So, if you're on special teams, yeah, they're on teams, special you gotta, teams. You gotta, you gotta tackle. You gotta be able to tackle. Yeah, you do. I, I, yeah, you just gotta talk it up that Greg Schiano got weird in the second half and everybody got discombobulated at that point. Is that just chalk it up the weirdest part of Nathan? Nathan, part of this makes me think why don't underdogs all run 35 trick plays a game? Now, the one thing is Rutgers didn't have any trick play go so south that like, hey, we tried to throw it across the field and it and it bounced and Ohio State picked it up and ran it in for a touchdown because that's the risk with some of the – they didn't have any single one go terribly, terribly wrong. But, man, I don't know. Does it make you think – I will – like I wrote about Greg Schiano after the game and how like he was a terrible defensive coordinator two years ago, and I don't want anybody to forget that. Good luck to him at Rutgers he killed this team two years ago, which is not happening this year. I'm, I'm really rather confident in, in the idea that this is not a repeat of the 2018 defense, but man, he coached every second of that game. Nathan, he coached every inch out of that game. Should, at the end. should more teams do that? Was that something or was that just absolute overmatched desperation? That isn't actually a thing. Well, there's, there's, I'm sure a little bit of that, but I mean, I didn't get to listen to him, his post game because it's going on at the same time as Ohio State's. I haven't seen a transcript. I'm sure he was asked about that, and I'm, I'm curious if, if part of your motivation as a coach, maybe he wouldn't admit this, but I mean, Rutgers isn't going anywhere this year. Rutgers is they're trying to build something, but I think one of the things that you need to instill into your team when you know you're losing is just. Um, fun frankly like how what's what is fun about coming to Ohio State and getting your butt kicked but if you can go out and like and make them look like that on a couple of occasions and everybody loves running trick plays I think at the college level any level I think you love running trick plays you you love executing trick plays too I mean they got a lot of mileage against Indiana out of a trick play that you hated a trick play that didn't actually score a touchdown so like I'm sure that that was something that like impacted them like hey here's how we can like get out in into people's minds a little bit maybe it gets you it helps you in recruiting in some way like you you're it becomes you don't want to be your identity right you can't just be the the guys on the flying trapeze every week I don't think that's not gonna you're not gonna sustain a program that way but as far as like right now where you're trying to build something and you're trying to uh not just gain interest outside of your program, but make sure your guys are interested on a week to week or even serious to serious basis. I think it makes a lot of sense and it was working. They can't go head to head and beat Ohio state, but going out there and like having Ohio state on its heels and like discombobulated because they're throwing the ball all over the place and doing that, that thing, that court, that, that, that onside kick was, I've never seen anything like that. I've seen people like kind of switch, there was some game I watched a week before where, where team, it might've been an NFL game where like they maybe overthought it a little bit and on like switching back and forth on the onside kick. And it, it didn't work out. Rutgers did it like four times, just having guys go back and forth in waves. Um, And, and, you know, it's, it's innovative a little bit. And I think, I think guys like playing that style of football, especially when they know that they, they don't actually have something to play for at the end of the night. I think there is something to, to building a culture. 
Um, and losing to Ohio State, who's a national championship contender, 49 to 27, looks a lot better than losing 63 to 3. Well, Stephen, uh, you had the stat this week that Rutgers had not scored total in the six games as much as Ohio State had scored in every single game on its own. I felt like, especially when Greg Schiano was taking the timeouts at the end, trying to get to 35 yeah. again, right? I thought he was playing for the record books because I thought he didn't want it to look like that anymore. He, when you run mm-hmm. down the list of the Ohio state Rutgers game, he doesn't want it to be 59 to nothing, 49 to three. He wants a couple big numbers in the Rutgers column. And he knows it's not going to be a win, but the next time a Rutgers kid looks in that, it's gonna be like, Oh, you know, well, you know, there's the emotion of the moment, but I thought he was playing for the record books a little bit. Yeah. There's something to that. Cause then it's, no, we didn't win, but we competed. And then when you go into the recruiting trail, especially with some of these New Jersey kids like Luke Whipler or Cody Simon, who could be on Rutgers team right now, you can go, listen, we at least competed. You might be able to be the piece that puts us on the same level. You can sell that dream to recruits now because you at least competed and the final score showed that rather than it be 56 to nothing where – you just lay down, which is why you call timeouts at the end of the game to try to score, and you pull out every trick playing onside kick you can because it's about it's about making it look like you at least put up as much of a fight as you can, even though you know you're under undermanned. Yeah, I All wouldn't right. even call it like a moral victory, but I think you can still have achievements. Tonight was an achievement for Rutgers. It was. Like, they came in. That's the best Rutgers has ever played against Ohio State. That was an achievement. That's something that at the end of a year where he may only have the one win that they already have. Um, or I guess they do get to play Maryland too. We'll see how it happens in that one. But um, get to but play I mean, Maryland? Are you yeah, kidding yeah, me? Is, People yeah. think Maryland's going to beat You're Ohio right. State. All right, I, don't right. Know say, I don't know if you can say get to play anybody in the Big Ten East right now because some weeks they look like Fair. everybody looks like Rutgers, and then the next week teams look like the second best team in the Big Ten. Fair enough. I'm saying they may they may get to the year and be one and seven, but they will still have other achievements now that they can say along with it. And this is one of them. And I think it's legitimate. The thing that you can say is, you know, well, Rutgers might have Rutgers has Michigan left. They might get a win there. That would make more sense. Well, Rutgers has Penn State left. They might get a win there. Penn State might go winless in the Big Ten. I have one more stat I want to say after the break, and then I want us to wrap this up and kind of have us give our final answers on what we think might be an issue going forward for the Buckeyes. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. This is going to happen a lot this year from the 216. Lack of depth in the secondary was obvious. Jordan Fuller may be the least appreciated Buckeye of the last decade. I think there's going to be a lot of pining for Jordan Fuller uh, over the course of this season. We've already seen a lot of it. We've already talked about it uh, as Jordan Fuller has a successful start to his NFL career. And uh, this don't not look so good. Okay. This is my stat that I almost tweeted out and I thought, no, because sometimes on Twitter – if, I, if I'm getting paid to get crap, I'm here for it. If I'm just throwing stuff out in the world, I, I don't, it's not worth it. So the combined score for Indiana, Maryland, and Rutgers today versus Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan, the combined score was Maryland, Indiana, Rutgers, 100, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, 89. So I decided not to lump that in there because Michigan and Penn State suffered crushing, humiliating, humiliating defeats, and Ohio State just kind of had a bad second half and only won by 22, and it's not the same thing. But by them not winning by as much as we thought, and again, sorry for the 38-point prediction. Um, 
It just, it was that I thought was like a good day for Rutgers. Cause I don't know. I don't off the top of my head. I don't know what the stats are, how many times in a row Maryland had lost to Penn state or how many times in a row Indiana had lost to Michigan. But for anybody in the big 10 who can't beat a big boy, my gosh, two big boys went down hard on Saturday. And so that's like a little bit of hope. I said, Rutgers will never beat Ohio state the way Rutgers at least hung around a little bit. And what else happened in the big 10 should give Rutgers maybe a little bit of hope there. So we're not going to be able to get to most of the questions. People are nervous about this Maryland game. I know you guys didn't watch it. Someone have it. Someone call up the Maryland stats from Penn state today. Cause Maryland moved the ball and Maryland got drilled by Northwestern in week one, but now had this great offensive comeback against Minnesota last week and then just moved the ball. I think they might've gained 700 yards or something. Move the ball all over a dead looking Penn State team today. 405. Not 700? Shoot, no. I already wrote 700. I'll have, to, I'll have to edit that out. I didn't, I didn't write it. I just said it. But saying doesn't make. Will Doug say that Maryland gained 700 yards against Penn State? Only time, time will tell. <laughs> Three seconds later. Yes, he will say that. And it will be incorrect. What is your, on a scale of one to 10, and listen, and I want to I want to wrap this up with this too because we have to we just go comparing Ohio State in the national context and what happens to other teams does matter. They, Ohio State can't control it, but it does affect them. So the only thing we're talking about is could Ohio State lose? I'm not talking about like how good the win will look. I'm not talking about impressing the playoff committee. The idea that they could lose at Maryland next week, ten is red alert. Not that they will lose, but man, they really really could. One is, are you freaking kidding me? Steven, as we sit here at 2 a.m. in the morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, where are you right now on the Buckeyes? One, they're not losing to Maryland. Nathan? Two, because of the uncertainty of COVID. I actually think, though, that, I mean, I, I would rather, if you're Maryland, you would rather get Ohio State in a game where they had won both halves 35-3 to three and get them the next week than a game where the second half of this game happened. And now you're getting kind of Ohio state with um, a kind of on red alert going out to play you. Is the game three 30 next week? I think that's right. Yes. Yes. And, and Nathan, we only have one credential. So Nathan will be the only person that's there for us next week. Um, you guys are kind of saying this earlier and I don't know that I drilled down on this. Do you think at this point night games are worse is that what you were saying? Because the first game against Nebraska was during the day, then Penn State Rutgers at night. The fact that a night game, you sort of expect it to be a better atmosphere makes it more clear that it's a worse atmosphere and that actually, because Ryan, they kind of mentioned that. It's a night game. You come out in the second half. It's 9 o'clock at night. It's really late. You're way ahead, and is it's dead. Like, do you think it will be easier? It just feels more normal. It's like, oh, you're playing during the day, whatever. But 3.30, by the time you get done, it's going to be dark. But is this was this the worst of all possible juiceless worlds, Nathan? A bad yeah, opponent yeah. that you're way ahead of at night. So to me, it's not necessarily that I'm thinking it's a night game and night games will be like more um, – uh, electric or boisterous or whatever, like, because I don't expect that necessarily from a Rutgers game anyway. I think it's just that because if it's a day game, there's like life, you see things happening. There's, there's like nature and, and things like you, you feel, but when it's a night game and everything is blacked out 
and you're just in this empty stadium. It seems if you feel like you're um, you feel like you're there after a game, like you, you got there, like after they're like cleaning up and stuff. I mean, there's players down in the field, but other than that, it, the place is empty. The lights are on for what seems like no reason. You have to keep reminding yourself that football is happening. So that's the thing. Like it, it, tonight it was 35 to three. You come out, out out of the second half being up 35 to three, and there's just nobody out there. I feel like you just, I, I it's, it's not, you, you can't, you can't like allow it as a competitor. You can't just like, give yourself that excuse i guess but it's understandable and i I think that the afternoon game does will help i think a little bit because i think you're just it's a different i mean just the fact i mean it's it's the sun's out i think just something as silly as that i think actually helps you from just a a a physical standpoint so i i I think for starters night games are already hard on college football players because you're sitting around all day waiting for a game when you but they love them they love them but they love them yes yeah yeah i I, normally what normally what makes it fun to play at night is the extra stuff like last year they wore the all black jerseys there's probably there's usually one game a year where ohio state wears like some alternate uniforms this probably would have been the game to do that it's at night. They probably would have thrown the all black again. It would have been a blackout in the stadium. And so it would have been reasons to get up for it, even though it is just Rutgers. But Nathan's right. It's just a night game. There's nobody there. It was 35 to three. And what made it entertaining was watching how many more creative ways can Greg Schiano come up with to get the ball back from Ohio State. But the game itself kind of lost energy after that first half. I will say it does make sense. So you're down 35 to three and you say, screw it. And you just start running crazy trick plays that automatically brings juice to your team. And it's not that fun to be the team chasing trick plays, but what are you going to do? It's like, Oh, okay, well now we'll try a trick play. And then all of a sudden you try a double reverse and you do drop it. Now Rutgers picks it up and runs for a touchdown. I not to excuse it, but to explain it, I do get the idea of that. Ohio state was like in a weird spot from an emotional standpoint because first Rutgers is on the road Ohio Stadium is really cool to play in even if it's if it's empty or not if you've never done it you know what's normally dead freaking Rutgers those Rutgers kids would rather play in a empty Ohio Stadium than a full Rutgers Stadium most of the time I mean Rutgers is miserable no offense to Rutgers so like there's automatic juice you're getting to come to Ohio Stadium you say the heck with it. We don't care. You're running trick plays. And what's Ohio State got to got to play for? They're up thirty-five to three. So I do think there's there's some of this. There's a couple things I'm trying to find. That just a couple. AK in the six one four. Do you think Day is struggling between letting his guys play while balancing trying to the sportsmanship game, and it's throwing the offense off balance? I'm telling you, man. You think they are, Stephen? You think that was? You um, think they're trying to balance sportsmanship no, and it's screwing them up? No, no. But I can understand how a fan can feel that way. I think Ryan Day is coaching a good football game. They tried to run the offense, and Wyatt Davis got a holding penalty, and Josh Myers yeah. got smoked. And then they tried to run the offense, and they called like a weird crossing route that didn't work. Yeah. And they, they you got a hand. I mean, they're not going to throw every play. And no, they kept it's... the defense in. They kept the defense into the final five minutes. They kept Justin Fields in. C.J. Stroud got one kneel down. Yeah, the, the the problem is I, from a it's Ryan Day's calling a great game. The problem is from a, a fan's perspective, you're seeing what this offense should be doing, and maybe they should be up fifty six to nothing at halftime. And when that doesn't happen every single game, you're going, why aren't they aggressive enough? Well, this happened, and this happened, and that happened, and at some point, as a head coach and a good play caller, you have to look at your team and go, okay, things can go south. 
let's just call plays where we can just get out of here. We've already run this game. And that's what they did against Penn State as well. And by the way, they have to try to run the ball at some point. I mean, yeah. I, it's like, you know, you can throw. You have to see what the run game is. And this is a good time to do it. And I asked Chris Olave about it and this idea. And Chris Olave, like, completely shot it down. But when, when Rutgers tried the onside kick and, and initially was ruled to have recovered it, which, like, was a nonsensical ruling. It looked like G. Scott was all over the thing. And then they reviewed it and gave it back to Ohio State. The first play Ohio State ran was a deep ball to Chris Olave. And to me, it was like, oh, you're like your onside kicks, do you? Take a little bit of this. Take a little bit of love. Do you like that? You like a love? Do you like some of love? And they got a pass interference call. So that to me, it's like, oh, is Ryan Day being aggressive enough? It's like Greg Schiano tried an onside kick. And the first play they ran, they told Chris Olave to run as fast as you can. Justin Fields is going to throw it to you. So they were not, they did not pull back. I do not think it's a sportsmanship thing. It's a you can't score a touchdown every drive thing. It's a we're trying to work out the run game because we got to work it out a little bit game. And there's just a couple other things that when you – they basically played a perfect first half. And so then when you play – when you have a couple drives in the second half where you don't get any points, it really stands out. So last couple things. I don't, I don't think it was sportsmanship. Ryan Day, Nathan, he had like a wry smile on his face, though, about like Greg Sean. It was almost kind of like – Ah, uh, that old Shiano trying those crazy trick plays. You know how Greg is. Like he wasn't mad, but he was kind of like, kind of like you would do it, like do it to your friend. You know, like your friend would probably do. I mean, we all have friends. Well, I don't have friends. You guys, people who have friends, I don't know what it's like. Is it like this? Sometimes your friends give you more crap than your non-friends do. So it's like Greg. So Greg Shiano, Greg Shiano against a normal person would have tried like four trick plays. And he's like, oh, it's Ryan Day. Ha <laughs> ha, here's 11. So, I mean, like, I thought that, I thought that's what it was, but I didn't think like Ohio State pulled back. They kept, all we, we spent a whole podcast talking about when the backup quarterback comes in. I said the backup team was going to play the whole second half. CJ Stroud got one play. He got one I said he was going to get a hundred, I said he was going to throw for a hundred yards and two touchdowns just because he was going to be in the game for so long. I appreciated the texter who asked uh, if the way that CJ Stroud handed that ball off gave us any indication who the backup quarterback was now. But I will say this. So it's like from the 408, the Ohio State defense overall stunk. No two ways about it. But I was surprised that there wasn't the famed sideline energy or the yelling from Day or Combs to do anything about it. Didn't see the famed halftime adjustments either. What's up with the staff letting off easy? They were up. I Do it. Do you think? I'm a little, I honestly am a little confused by stuff. I'm not going to yell at people like I did last week. It was 35 to three. Rutgers did nothing in the first half. Like they, Nathan, they did nothing. The idea isn't that, that I would push back against. Yeah, the second half got a little loose. A lot of it on trick plays and we covered because Marcus Hooker missed some tackles. That's mostly it. Trick plays and Marcus Hooker missed tackles. Yeah, I think in the first half, the, the uh, yards per play was 9.9 for Ohio State and 4.5 for Rutgers. I mean, they smoked them in the first half. This, this, the, the first half was exactly what we expected the, the game to be. And if normally Ohio State would have received the opening kick of the second half with Justin Fields still in the game, which they had, and they would have just been done a hot knife through butter and gone down and made it 42-3, to three, and then that would have been it. They would have been like a six-minute drive, and then they would have said like, all right, you guys can like go home, go back to your dorms, wash your hands. And – that didn't happen again. Cause you said holding penalty 
guy gets blown up and then all of a sudden now 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 things kind of get um off off the rails a little bit because that's where Rutgers wanted to take it um they wanted to derail that train a little bit so yeah things got strange it was it was the weirdest second half I've seen in a long time for a game that where the second half didn't actually have a consequence on the outcome of the game um and I think it will be something though that again kind of like what I, I was I was joking before about Ohio State you know Maryland being in worse shape because Ohio State had this experience. But I think this experience, when you're a team that has this level of expectation and you're going to win these games no matter what, I, I think the, the, a second half like that can be a good thing for this team in the long run. I thought there like, were Wouldn't more... you rather Marcus Hooker get exposed in the second half of this game than the second half of Indiana or first half of Indiana? No, I agree with that. I hate silver lining stuff of like, oh, is it good that you sucked? And it's like, I, I will never write a story along those lines. But they have time to figure it out. They have time to figure it out for sure. And I don't think it's, you know, we've, we've covered everything I wanted to cover now. My big thing was Marcus Hooker. The tailbacks are a medium thing. I think Tyreek Johnson, who probably is not going to have a role, is a medium thing. Um, I thought... Uh, Marcus Williamson is a medium thing. I'm not sure that's going to get fixed or that's going to change that much. And then I thought the offensive line does need to play better. And I do want to finish on the defensive line and then we can get out of here. We've gone a long time. The offensive line for as good as these guys should be. Harry Miller's young. I get that he had some reach and stuff. I think, I think, I think Josh Myers needs to play better. I, I didn't th- not think he was great tonight. And I'm not sure exactly what was going on there. James Laurinaitis was pointing out a play during one of the game, one of the situations where, I don't know if Harry and Josh had some miscommunication, but they let two guys through the same gap and they both got to Justin. It was sort of like, what are they doing there? I, I didn't think Josh was great tonight. Josh is a good player. Josh Myers has proven he's a good player. I didn't think he was great tonight. So is that a long-term issue? No, but they got to play better. The ends did the, I didn't feel like the Jonathan Cooper was really good last week. Did a defensive end make an impact in this game? And was it just because Rutgers was throwing it sideways between their legs and trying to get the ball to the quarterback's hands? They're not listen when Rutgers Rutgers knows the deal, they're not going to drop do seven step drops and let defensive ends tee off on their quarterbacks. But there were some questions from texters kind of saying, where was the pressure? Didn't feel like there was a ton. Um, Both. Both can be true. I'm, I hate this. I'm hating this rotation more and more every single week. Zach Harrison and Tyree Smith were two and three on the snap count in 2019 behind obviously Chase. And they're at the bottom of the totem pole right now. And even when the the snaps they do get outside of that, he tackled both the running back and the quarterback. Zach Harrison hasn't done much. And where is Tyree Smith? I just don't ever know when he, even when he's out there, it's not until after the play is over. And I just happened to see number 11 where I'm like, man, Tyreek Smith was out there that snap. He didn't do anything. I, I am, I'm not out on Tyreek Smith, but I'm headed in that direction of maybe he's just not it. Because well, yeah, I, So when you say you're, you, you don't like this rotation, is are you saying that you don't like the way that the defensive ends are being used? Or are you saying you don't like the production that the players in that rotation are bringing. Cause it's like, I don't really know what to make of the defensive ends right now. I don't think any of us expected Jonathan Cooper to be the one that is like kind of standing up as this, like he's almost like the gleaming example of this group so far, as far as like actual impact of games, Javante Jean Baptiste got the start tonight, which I don't think anybody expected. I was 
surprised by that and actually got a significant amount of play. I was interested to see, go back and see what the snap count was for tonight. At first, I thought it was like, oh, is this like a New Jersey kid thing because they're playing Rutgers or something? And they're just mixing up who they start. But he played a lot of snaps and played. He had a great first series. Um, but I, I, I don't know what to make of this. And I think maybe they don't exactly know what to make of it. I think they're still searching for what the right combination is of guys up front because I, I – I don't I don't I, I, I think we're all saying kind of the same thing. It's like I think we all expected this to be a little bit more of a force and it, it hasn't happened yet. Which I think is also impacting the production of it. I'm not surprised that Jonathan Cooper's played this much early in this. I thought the first two games he might, just as the fifth year senior who came back as a captain and yada yada yada. But at some point, the best two guys would show themselves. And I think we all thought that would be Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith. But even outside of the names, that no one has really done that. It's just been Jonathan Cooper and a different guy starting opposite of him every single game. And the snap counts are always varied on who had the most and who had the least. And I think that might be – I think that's getting to them a little bit, and it's kind of messing up the production. So it's hard. I think it's hard to play in a pandemic. I think everything is weird. I think – we, I keep saying the pandemic is a magnifying glass and every little crack you, you get exposed in a lot of different ways through the pandemic. And I feel like that has happened to Michigan and Penn State in a lot of ways. I texted that this afternoon that I just think preparation, innovation, recruiting, motivation. I think Penn State and Michigan are falling short um, and their cracks are showing up a little bit. And I feel like Ohio State is doing much better with that. And so is anybody playing awesome? Like, that's the thing that I don't know for sure. Like, is anybody playing week after week, just spectacular football in the midst of this craziness? I don't know. I think it's easy from afar to assume that they are. And I'm sure there are people around the country who assume that Ohio state is, and they are in a lot of ways and that people would say, yeah, they saw that score. They're up 35 to three. They just didn't care in the second half or whatever. And it's like, those people aren't saying, well, what about Marcus Hooker? What about Marcus Williamson? Listen, Bama has Marcus Hookers and Marcus Williamsons and and Javante Jean Baptistes and you know what I mean Harry Millers I mean everybody has them let's not pretend they don't have them and most teams in the country have much 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 bigger problems than Ohio State does so I do not think they're going to go to Maryland and lose next week I am much more on the Nathan side of things that they're going to go and get things straightened out I was I I am curious to see if anybody writes about this this week Ryan Day did drop the having practice off on election day screwed us up line in the post game, which I didn't think was great. And I think there were multiple coaches around the country who kind of expressed that, that like, Hey, listen, all our guys voted absentee anyway. Why couldn't we practice? And it's like, it's okay to realize that you are part of something bigger sometimes and everybody got their games played and it wasn't the end of the world and everybody dealt with the same thing. And if you were 10% less sharp, on Saturday because you had to vote for president. Like it's okay. Your amateur athletes got to vote and the highly paid coaches had to figure it out. So he, it, he hinted at that during the week too. And it kind of rubbed me the wrong way there too. Cause he, he kind of made it seem like he was the only people who were getting affected by it. And it was that big of a hurdle when everybody is. And yeah, to the point of everybody else, maybe I've I've watched every game Clemson and Alabama play just for the sake of, or the Bama Clemson column I do every single weekend, and they're having a lot of the same issues on the field. Clemson has not looked great. And Alabama, yeah. I mean, we saw what happened with Ole Miss. They have not looked perfect either. The guys you think 
would be elite and look great, have looked great and been elite. Just like with Justin Fields and these wide receivers, the same thing with Clemson and Alabama and their quarterback wide receiver situation. Everything else has been a little iffy for them as well. I'd like to make declarative statements, even though I said I'm done with takes. Is it possible that Justin Fields, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson are like three of the 15 best overall players at any position in college football this year? Like, is that, is that a maybe? I mean, Justin Fields obviously is. And I don't know everybody else. I don't know every, every Big 12 defensive end, and I don't know every Pac-12 safety, and I don't know every ACC left guard. But those guys are unstoppable. And so it's like we don't talk about them like after games like this. We do talk about them a lot during the week. They're unstoppable. They really are. I mean, they. Re- I can't believe how open they are sometimes. And and again, I, they will be slightly less open or significantly less open against Alabama and Clemson, but they're still going to be kind of open. So that is going to make up for a lot of stuff, and we will gladly cover all these little things. And this week we're going to do on the podcast, we're going to – we didn't do much with Rutgers during the week. We're going to do more on this team and more on this Maryland game when we get to the podcast during the week because there are things that come up, and I think we want to try to find some solutions. So we'll do a podcast this week of how we would solve Ohio State's problems. Are there guys you take out of the lineup? Are there scheme adjustments that you make? Are there changes you make to a rotation? Because I think there are some things. There are a couple things, but there aren't a million things, and I think they'll be fine. All right, Nathan, you're falling asleep in your chair. These podcasts, man – after these night games, I'll be glad when next week's not a night game, right? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 we all knew it was going to be bad against Rutgers. And when they made it a night game, I think that was maybe so. Maybe some of the things I was talking about, how there was like no life in the stadium and all that stuff. I think part of it was just me already being like, oh, my God, it's 730 and I'm just starting my work of this game. <laughs> like, come no, on, give know. me a break. Like this, this should have been I should be done eating dinner by now. No, you're not alone. In the fourth quarter, there were like 10 minutes left, and I just happened to look up at the clock while I was trying to write and went, I can't believe there are still 10 minutes left in this game. Can we just call it? The last 10 minutes of that game took six hours. Because he kept doing the, – the trick plays got annoying. It was funny, and then they kept working, and he was calling timeouts, and I'm just thinking, Greg, let us go home. Please. I wish – I wish there was no play clock on kickoffs because I want to know how how many times they would have just on that onside, how many times they would have just kept switching sides. Like how long do you go before you just draw the other team off sides? Like it's a like it's just been going on like a comedy routine, just like for just like it's now five minutes later and they're still just running in circles. Okay, so the one thing is I will say this Maryland game next week is more interesting than anybody thought. We we talked at the beginning of the season, wait till we hit yeah. this month of doldrums. And in the Indiana game, as much as we said, oh, I think we swung every direction on this podcast. Buckeye talk, we swing every direction. We were on the like, early on, I think we were like, Indiana's a dark horse. And then we were like, everybody thinks Indiana's a dark horse. Indiana's not a dark horse. And then we were like, Indiana might be a dark horse. Indiana is the second best team in the East, right? I mean, like, is there even a dispute? They beat Penn State and Michigan. Who's? Yeah, that's I mean, it. I mean, that's a, it's it happened head to head, and you can't you can't say, especially the way that they beat Michigan today wasn't like the the fluky way that they beat Penn State, which I still I don't have still have a problem calling that kind of fluky. They took it to Michigan today, head to head, and so that's like I texted it. it out. I'm like, was I? 
was I too low on Indiana to start the year or was I too high on Michigan? I think the answer is yes. Michigan is an embarrassment to the Big Ten East right now. But an at least they have a win. At least they have a win. Penn State's over right. three. I understand, but one of Penn State's losses is fluky. Penn, Michigan is an embarrassment. They beat Minnesota, who beat Illinois. It's a mess. The Big Ten is really hard to figure out right now. Um, so we'll get into that this week. So come back for the Monday Madness podcast. I don't think we'll be doing any recruiting or anything. We, we got to figure out this team this week, and we got to figure out this game because Maryland has a couple guys. So I'll be curious to see what the line is. I would guess the line is going to be like 19. I was going to say 17. What do you think, Nathan? We can make this a part of the postgame podcast now. Guess the line. That's I mean, Maryland having Sunday. just one. Yeah, I mean, I think I could see something like, yeah, like 18 and a half. Yeah, I'll be curious. And then I'm, I, sometimes Vegas, like you think something in Vegas is like, no, it's still Maryland. It's going to be 26. You know, who knows? <laughs> I mean, again, this this line was 38. So is the line going to get cut in half because Maryland beat a, 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 a deadbeat Penn State team that didn't want to be there? Well, I mean, Star- Maryland was a 25-point dog at Penn State tonight. Or might have even been higher by the time they kicked it off. I took Maryland then, with the points, but I didn't Nathan see took that Penn State. Nathan took Penn State. Yeah, not a great day for any of us. I went, I went two and one, and the team that gave me an L was Ohio State. Oh yeah, well it gave us all an L. Listen, I think we Who said it, thought that when we were doing the picks Friday. I said I, I still don't have a handle on this conference, and I don't, I still don't think I have a handle on this conference. So it's very hard to figure out right now. All right, we got a lot ahead. We appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you're reading Cleveland.com/osu. Try the text at 614-350-3315. We'd like a review. We'd like a new review, a new fresh review. So who wants to please have a race to go see who can drop a review because we're up at 2.20 in the morning talking about a 22-point football game and complaining about why it wasn't a 38-point football game. All right, Ohio State at Maryland next week. Podcasts next Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. As always, thanks to you guys for listening. For Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk.